When I die, let me rest. That's when I'll forget. That's when I'll forget. The fields and hills and leave it all and pray to God and pray to God. There are those who have only the sky as a roof while I have a canopy of blue satin above my head. Oh God, forgive me for my weeping. And then, remember me. Remember me with gentle whispers. Remember me. A reading life, a writing life. With writer and teacher Sally Bailey. Produced by Andrew Smith. Spring. 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 There goes my... There goes the wire I'm attached to. There goes my microphone wire springing across my kitchen sink as I look out my window. The water is rippling smoothly, little puckered surfaces, little pots on the top of the water, little clay pots. It looks like clay today running past clay not yet set. Let's open the window. Now, I haven't opened the windows yet. Here we go. Opening my hatch window, looking out. Beautiful, radiant day. The sort of day you might imagine as a child. Radiant, blue, orange, yellow. Rained yesterday and now the sky is clearing out its thoughts. That's how I think of it. After we've had a mucky, muddy day, the sky is ready to start thinking again, clearly. The ivy is greeting me outside. There it is, I can pull at it. Look, at, pulling, I'm pulling at its long, long green mane. There it goes, I'm scratching it against the window pane. ivy wreath hanging down from the tree next to me. It's wrapped itself around it. There's a shed now that's been built opposite. It's finished the shed. I think I, I had spoken of that before. So it's complete. I'm looking right at it. It has my scooter tucked away inside now. 
more space to look out upon the foxglove or the Indian bean tree. It's quite crunchy underneath over there. So I have a friend who's going to come and plant some garden out there. She's doing a project on um, botany. She's an artist, but she wants to grow some flower samples. So we've been considering which flowers may survive um, the fate of the monk jack. There's a monk jack, or there's two of them that come and visit quite regularly. And they eat all the flowers. So um, my very knowledgeable neighbour, Oti, who's Finnish, she tells me there's there are flowers that monk jacks do not like. So I think that it's those that we must plant. It'd be nice to have a garden. I just waved at my little neighbour. She's on her way to school. She's learning about the Romans. She tells me that the Romans just came to live with us happily ever after. And I said, well, darling, we didn't really have much of a choice when it came to the Romans. They just barged in. And if we didn't say yes, they went kabah. They wanted those roads straightened up. No curvy roads for the Romans. And that reminded me from our conversation, as these things always do, of a story that I had written as part of an anthology about going for a walk, edited by Duncan Minshall, M-I-N-S-H-U-L-L. Lovely name, Minshall. And it's called Where My Feet Fall, Going for a Walk in 20 Stories. I think I might show my little neighbor this later. It's a story that I wrote in the mode of a child writing up a story at school as she's been asked to do by her English teacher. And it's called, A Curvy Road is Better Than a Straight One, A Child's Lunchtime Circuit. And it's based around the walk to and fro from school at lunchtime, where we had 25 minutes each way. So we had about eight minutes to eat lunch, if we were lucky. So the, the story takes it's a sort of countdown. It takes place going in backward time. It moves backward from 25 minutes and counts down to the moment that the whistle is blown as she arrives back in the school field. But there's one part where I touch upon the Romans and speak of their, of their pro building projects. Because of course every child learns about the Romans at school. Seventeen minutes and counting down. Giddy up! Giddy up! Imagine you're a Roman in your chariot, whipping on your horse. Ben Hur racing down Mole Travers Drive, tutting at the bend in the road. Roman infantry like marching down roads dead straight. Bends take up valuable time, and if you're a Roman, You've got a lot of things on your to-do list. Top of their to-do list was 
one, conquer Britain. Then two, cut down trees. Three, to make straight roads through the fields and woods and hedgerows. One, cut down trees. Two, to make straight roads through the fields and woods and hedgerows. One, conquer Britain. I began reading at 2.15 in the morning. My heart had been pounding heavily. I needed to read to still my heartbeat. So I was asked to consider some literature from Ukraine, from authors who were associated with the Ukrainian language and the Ukrainian nation as part of a fundraising chamber music concert designed to raise awareness for the suffering of the people of Ukraine currently at war with Russia. So I've been reading some Taras Shevchenko. 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 And this is one of his four poems which I performed last night in a beautiful hall in North Oxford. When I die, let me rest. Let me lie amidst Ukraine's broad steps. Let me see the endless fields and steep slopes I hold so dear. That's when I'll forget. That's when I'll forget the fields and hills and leave it all and leave it all and leave it all and pray to God and pray to God and then remember me remember me gentle whispers. Remember me. With kind words. Remember me. Remember me. In the great family of the newly free. Taras Shevchenko. Taras Shevchenko, father of Ukrainian literature, father and then a daughter.
a diarist called Marie Bashkirtseff, who was born in Ukraine in the 19th century and then moved to France, where she studied painting at the Academy of Art in Paris. She was also in Nice. She moved around France, but her, her early education was visual. She left behind an extraordinary diary, which has become regarded by those who are scholars of the diary form as one of the great diaries of the 19th century. It reads in places like a novel. Oh God, forgive me for weeping. Forgive me, God, for weeping. There are people more miserable than I. There are people who have no bread, no bread, while I sleep in a bed of satin and lace, satin and lace, while I sleep in a bed of satin and lace. There are those who hurt their bare feet on the stone pavement. There are those who hurt their bare feet on the stone pavement. While I walk on soft carpets. There are those who have only the sky as a roof while I have a canopy of blue satin above my head. Oh God, forgive me for my weeping. Marie Bashkirtseff, who died aged 25 of tuberculosis, one of the great diarists of the 19th century. I've been returning to Joseph Conrad too, Lord Jim. I started to reread that yesterday. He was Polish, but after the Second World War, part where he was born is now Ukraine. He was Ukrainian, if we think of what Ukraine is now. Uh, it was Poland where he was born. It was part of, it was the Polish Ukraine, they say. And he spent time in um, Warsaw, Warsaw and Krakow. So I'm learning some of the geography of Ukraine history. What was Russian? What was Ukrainian? What was Poland? Poland was at war with Russia. Um, Poland and Ukraine too. Um, so Ukraine has been a much contested territory. And I'm trying to understand the history of those territorial disputes. Just reminding myself of when Lord Jim was published. It's 1900. Lord Jim, Conrad's narrator, is the first mate on board a vessel called the Patna. He says this of the skipper. His skipper had come up noiselessly in pyjamas and with his sleeping jacket flung wide open. Red of face, only half awake, the left eye partly closed, 
the right staring stupid and glassy, he hung his big head over the chart and scratched his ribs sleepily. There was something obscene in the sight of his naked flesh. His bared breast glistened, soft and greasy, as though he had sweated out his fat in his sleep. The fold of his double chin hung like a bag triced up close under the hinge of his jaw. Jim started, and his answer was full of deference. But the odious and fleshy figure, as though seen for the first time in a revealing moment, fixed itself in his memory forever, as the incarnation of everything vile and base that lurks in the world we love. In our own hearts, we trust for our salvation in the men that surround us, in the sights that fill our eyes, in the sounds that fill our ears, and in the air that fills our lungs. odious and fleshy figure, seen for the first time in a revealing moment by Lord Jim, fixed itself in his memory forever as the incarnation of everything vile and base that lurks in the world we love. But that passage I just read, it chimes very, very loudly with something that an old man said to me yesterday. An 85-year-old man who spoke to me for three hours in a cafe in Oxford. He told me the whole history of his life, which was the whole history of Europe, really. The First and the Second World War. He said, we have forgotten that the devil lives among us and we willfully close our eyes to him. We shut our eyes and pretend he isn't there. And today I began reading Lord Jim. And I've forgotten how theological Conrad is and how much like Dostoevsky, who he claimed he never read, but obviously did read. Well, he read, he read Dostoevsky, but he claims that Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky had no influence on him, but I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. This passage from Lord Jim reminds me of Dostoevsky. It's a passage about evil, what my Swiss friend was calling the devil. Jim started, and his answer was full of deference. But the odious and fleshy figure, as though seen for the first time in a revealing moment, fixed itself in his memory, forever as the incarnation of everything vile and base that lurks in the world we love. In our own hearts, we trust for our salvation 
in the men that surround us, in the sights that fill our eyes, in the sounds that fill our ears, and in the air that fills our lungs. But all around us, in the world we love, there lurks something vile. And that's what my Swiss friend was trying to tell me yesterday. My hand shakes when I read that. I just knocked my reading lamp. Strange the effect it has on me, that sentence. The odious and fleshy figure. That's the skipper observed here by Lord Jim. Lord Jim looks at his skipper and sees an odious man. Conrad writes brilliantly about spiritual decay and rot. I remember the first time I read Heart of Darkness when I was 17 at school doing my A-levels and how terrified I was of Kurtz. Kurtz, who was a hollow man, the word hollow is used, and it's a word Conrad associates with evil or with darkness, with spiritual rot and decay. Everything vile and base. They would eat your heart up if they could. I remember Nostromo, that novel. I remember teaching it to a very bright student and our theme was silence and the scream that pervades that novel, which is the scream of pain and torture delivered by the character of Hish, I think his name is Hish, H-I-R-S-C-H the image of a silent scream, which is the sound of a man being tortured in a dark space, somewhat removed from the narrator's present place. Out of sight, but not out of mind. Conrad is a great writer of the invisible and lurking work of evil. And my Swiss friend was reminding me of this, to be aware that the devil lurks among us. Thank you for listening to A Reading Life, A Writing Life with writer and teacher Sally Bailey produced by Andrew Smith If you've enjoyed this podcast please like it, give us a review or mention us to friends or on social media Thank you